energy, 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 energy. zip, zop, zoop. <coughs> it's Hero Rewatch. I'm Austin Halpern Grazer. I'm his brother, Marley Halpern Grazer. I'm 36, I live in Los Angeles, and I'm an animation writer who's written superhero cartoons like Batman vs. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and that's the best one. And Aquaman, baby! <laughs> it's not out. It's not out. Well, it'll probably be out by the time we release this at this rate. Check it out now on HBO. And I'm 24, I live in Brooklyn, and, uh, you know... This movie's about Brooklyn, baby. That's true. This is really this this one's really top, really great for you. Uh, so me and my brother love the Marvel Studios movies, and we've been living on opposite uh, sides of the country since uh, since Austin was eleven. And so a lot of our relationship has been talking about Marvel movies and Marvel comics on the phone. Yeah, but we've never really watched them, rewatched them. Um, we we watched them. We re-talked about them. We're doing it now. We're watching. We're re-watching them now. We're re-watching. We're re-talking. Uh, it's been 12, 12 years or so since these movies started coming out, and me and Austin are 12 years apart in age, so we thought this would be a fun project. Will our perspective have changed now that I'm not a child and uh, Marley's body is falling apart? <laughs> Find out. <laughs> That's not the name. We changed it. Fuck! <laughs> Find out. <laughs> Find out on Hero Rewatch. Uh, Today's episode, we're watching Captain America, the first Avenger, the fourth, fifth movie. They fifth. Made. It's the fifth movie if you if you count Incredible Hulk, which we certainly do in this in these households. Uh, it's it's always a, a bold strategy to call your fifth movie your first movie. Yeah, I think I already said this when we talked about it at the end of the last episode, but definitely the reason this very first movie has, like, a subtitle like that is because in some international markets, they didn't want to call it Captain America at all, and it needed a title that would work, so it's just called The First Adventure some places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That which, makes sense. Which I understand. I'm actually surprised they could... I'm surprised that people went to go see a movie called Captain America anywhere other than the United States of America. Like, the fact that it was called that most places and it did really well globally is actually kind of shocking to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine a, a Captain China film doing well here. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. Even, like, even not, not even a country that, like, we're, we have, like, you know, officially a problem with. But if there was just, like, a C- Captain Belgium, you would just be like, that's not for me. I mean, me personally... That is for me. Sign me up. Captain Belgium. That sounds great. I guess that's, is that Tintin? Is Tintin basically Captain Belgium? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and it's not for me. You know what? I don't really like Tintin. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I'm not a Tintin fan, actually. I'm not. Give me my Captain America. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so uh, this movie is, uh, this is the last one before Avengers. This is the, the penultimate uh, film of Marvel's patented Phase One. Uh, it's uh, it ties pretty directly into Thor. Uh, these came out the same year, and they they feel like they deliberately put them out in the same year. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I when I saw this movie, I didn't read it as a tie-in with Thor uh, as m- much, just because 
when they talk about Norse mythology, that stuff's real. Yeah. So Red Skull saying like, oh, this was from Odin's chamber. That feels very authentic to like the Nazi stuff. Yeah, yeah. People talking about Odin is a real thing. Yeah, and he doesn't say Odin, the space alien. Yeah. (laughs) Watching Captain America and Thor back to back like we just have now makes me realize that, you know, Iron Man obviously was just its own. Iron Man and Incredible Hulk really were just their own movies with very small connections. And then they like, you know, saw that they had something there and they decided to make it more on purpose. And Iron Man 2 definitely feels like it was setting up ideas for movies that were not completely set yet. And so not everything that is in Iron Man 2 really pays off or has a real, like, purpose. Uh, But I think Thor, Captain America, and I'm pretty sure Avengers, when we get to it, feel much more like they sat down and planned out all three all at once, and they all have some, like, very meaningful, important connections to each other. Especially Captain America and uh, the Avengers. Because... um... I can say, too, like, what my memory of this movie as a child was literally just, I'm so excited for the Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> this is the last movie before the Avengers. Like, I was more excited to find out what the end credits thing was going to be because it was the last one before Avengers. Yeah. Um, and then it was the best thing that it could possibly be, which is this movie ends with just a trailer for the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, literally a trailer. It's like, next summer, here's a ta- <laughs> some assembly required, here's the tagline so yeah well i guess that that starts us off in what did we think of the movie at the time did you have any other thoughts of about the movie at the time nope just <laughs> excited to see the avengers baby <laughs> seriously i think that was like my complete takeaway i was really living for the avengers at this point it is interesting though at this point i'm getting pretty old yeah yeah no the the original premise of this being that these movies were 13 years ago, you know, they come out one a year. So already this, this movie did not come out 13 years ago. Yeah. It came out in 2011, I yeah. believe. Yep. So that means that I was 15, possibly 15 or 14. Yeah. And at that point, it's very funny how um, it gets to me being a teenager who still really liked these movies. Yeah. Um, it didn't, you didn't, you didn't, like, go through a I'm too cool for these movies phase, certainly. No, the, my peak was Avengers, for sure. So it's funny, I've compressed all of phase one to me being 11 or 12 during it. But really, I was 15 when Avengers changed my entire life. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about that realization? I think I was a cool 15-year-old. <laughs> Time flies. Um, and then time flies less in between later movies because they start releasing two a year. Yes, yeah, now they're, yeah. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, 2011 is exactly 10 years ago, so I was 26 uh, when this movie came out. Two years older than I am now. Yeah, so don't tell anyone, but we are, the premise of our podcast is going to rapidly <laughs> diverge from reality. Because mm-hmm. you are you are now not as old as I was when I saw this movie. We're gonna have to go. No back. one tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody tell anyone. Definitely don't record this. Cut this out. Don't leak this to the press. Okay. <laughs> All of you who are listening. This is a secret. Yeah. If the Guardian finds out about this, we're done. <laughs> Look, if you if you've listened this far, if you're listening to episode five, you're on our side now. You keep this to yourself. Yeah! This movie came out 13 years ago. <laughs> yeah, if anyone asks. Or Austin's 26 now, whichever lie you want. I don't care which one. Yeah. 
What what do you think about the movie when it came out? Uh, so my memory uh, about this movie when it came out is I remember think I remember thinking it felt old fashioned. Uh, I remember it it like. Obviously, when Incredible Hulk came out, it felt of the time, so I didn't notice that it wasn't for, like forward thinking. I just thought it was a normal movie. But Captain America, when I watched it, I was like, "Oh, this feels like a retro sort of throwback kind of movie." Uh, and I remember thinking, I remember thinking it had a really good third act, and that unlike the other Marvel movies, I felt like it was structured like a real movie and had like a more satisfying conclusion than I thought like Thor and Iron Man had at the time. Uh, and then I also know that I, when I think about these movies, sort of similar to Thor, I always remember this one as just one of the okay ones. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, Thor wound up being a lot better than I remembered it. Um, and so I was interested to see what I thought about this one. I, I think it was purposely trying to be a throwback. Like, they wanted the movie, watching it now, it is trying to be a, like, 40s vision of the war, which is kind of interesting. Like, it's sort of a propaganda film made at the time is sort of a, a little bit of how it feels to me like they have all of this like retro future tech which yeah. i think is really fun and stuff like that and like um i don't know if the, my thoughts on that are, are totally fu fully formed well that that's like no no i see what you're saying uh i think that's interesting because i had a, a similar feeling but my feeling was that it doesn't feel like a piece of 40s propaganda to me because the filmmaking is just so different than a 1940s movie would have been. Um, yeah. And also, like, we know, like, you know, Casablanca was 19, was like actual World War II propaganda. Like, it was oh, more yeah. comp It was the, the, the popular movies at the time were somewhat more complicated than that. What it felt like to me was it felt very, very much like an 80s, late 80s, early 90s movie because it what okay. it feels like is it feel like Captain America fighting in World War II, but the Germans have future tech, makes it feel like Indiana Jones fighting Star Wars stormtroopers. Yeah, it, this feels like a Star Wars movie. Yeah. It's so Star Warsy. Yeah, so um, I, I think because it's all on Earth and not in space, people just forget to, that it could be like Star Wars since most of Star Wars actually does take place on solid ground. But yeah, they have laser guns and they're running through places and all the Hydra people are like in Stormtrooper outfits. Yeah, and they do like motorcycle chases that are exactly like the speeder chases. Now this movie is laser guns on the front of the motorcycles. Yeah, all the sound effects sound like Star Wars sound effects. This movie is so Star Wars and I don't actually think that uh people picked up on that just because it's not in space marley did it feel like a 80s 90 movies like the rocketeer is that uh, the kind of movie it seemed like to you yeah i think that it felt like a uh a throwback uh movie about the 40s because the director so famously made a movie about the 40s in that time period <laughs> yeah i think joe johnston knows what he's doing yeah um i always describe joe when I always describe Joe Johnston's career as he directed all the movies you thought Steven Spielberg directed, but he didn't. I, I looked him up on IMDb. He's doing stuff. He's still going. Yeah. I mean, he's he's, some... he's great. This movie's uh, – oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think this movie's good. It's, it's, it, is, it is basically as good as I remembered it. Unlike Thor, I remembered it being – I remembered it being better than Thor. And so – it is. It's, it's 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 as good as I remembered it. I remembered that being better than Thor. Now I think they're basically the same, just very different. 
Oh, okay. That's interesting. Like, I, 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 I think I liked Captain America's filmmaking more than Thor's as much as I loved the concepts in Thor. And re-watching yeah. it, I loved the concepts in Thor so much, it made me appreciate the filmmaking more than I remembered. And so I see them as basically even now. Yeah, I think for me, this is one of those situations where this is not the best... I guess what I'm realizing is I'm really appreciating the uniqueness in different ones of these Marvel movies because in so many ways they are kind of similar. So I feel a little bit about this one like the way that I felt about Iron Man 2 where I feel like this is not the best movie with Captain America in it. Um, So when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, I could watch... I feel like Winter Soldier is more... I like this stuff with Captain America once he's out of the 40s. I think the character is more interesting if he's like a man out of time, I think, because that's also, you know, the way that Captain America is always in the comics. It's been a long time since he was in the 40s. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is kind of interesting to think about that, like, this movie obviously is adapting the golden age Captain America, who was a contemporary 1940s character who took place in the 1940s, encouraging people to buy war bonds to fund the war that was currently happening in real time. Whereas the later Captain America movies are adapting the 1960s Captain America, where Stan Lee, because uh, Captain America, for those of you who don't know, was created in the 1940s uh, by Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, uh, who were both artists and writers. And uh, then Jack Kirby wound up still working for Marvel in the 60s, and him and Stan Lee brought Captain America back. And so Stan Lee contributed to the idea that he was frozen and then brought back, stand, uh, the whole idea of uh, his teenage sidekick Bucky having died. Like, there's not, like, Cap- the, the Golden Age Captain America comics in the 40s do not end with Bucky dying and Captain America falling into the ocean never to be seen again. The comic was just canceled with no resolution. Mm-hmm. So then, like, there even was an attempt to bring Captain America back in the 50s where him and Bucky are, like, pretending to be school teachers and fighting communists and they're just nothing, they're just still around. It's only been 10 years. Uh, so then in the 60s, they're when they wanted to be school teachers, I think so. I could be wrong that's about awesome. that, but that's my memory. Yeah. Uh, but then in the in the 60s, it had been 20 years at that point, And rather than just say the super soldier serum meant he didn't age, uh, they decided to say that he'd been frozen for 20 years. And then the Avengers find him. Uh, I think Namor finds him uh, in a block of ice. Um, and which is uh, also a much shorter period of time to be frozen. So much now. shorter. That's that's another thing is that the idea of Captain America being like a man out of time was not as much the premise when they brought him back in the 60s. It was more like Austin Powers. Like he missed he should be an old man and instead he's a young man. He's not like in the future. Yeah, yeah, he did he didn't time travel. In some ways this movie is very faithfully adapting a version of Captain America that is not the version that you usually think of. It's a uh, it's adapting Golden Age Captain America which are probably comics that you've never read. Yeah. Have you read any of them? A little bit. A few here and there. Not not tons of them. Um, uh, I mean, honestly, uh, I haven't read all that many Captain America comics at all. Um, not nearly as many. Probably more than Iron Man, um, but not as many as Hulk, not as many as Thor. Um, of the characters that Marvel's doing now, he's probably my second most familiar with. Second least familiar Yeah, with. I think, yeah, honestly, I feel like Captain America is a little bit of a blind spot in my comics reading. I mean, he, he always has a really big part in these giant crossovers, 
because he's the most fun person to be the last person left punching a guy. Um, yeah, I think my experience with Captain America is much more like him fighting Thanos in Infinity War rather than uh, an actual Captain America comic. <laughs> wanna wanna start talking about the movie? Yeah, let let's let's do it. So, uh, like Thor, this one does also start with a cold open to help ground you uh, in the the normal present day. Uh, which is you see some some government agents uncovering a frozen flying saucer in the ice, basically, uh, mm-hmm. and then they find that you just see the uh, the Captain America's shield in the ice. You don't see anything else, uh, and then it cuts to the 1940s. Unlike Thor, we're not going to catch back up to this cold open for the entire movie. I feel like this movie almost has a double cold open because they show you that. And then the next thing is also not Steve Rogers. That's true. Because, yeah, the next thing you see is uh, evil, evil German Hugo Weaving, uh, Johann Schmidt, uh, getting, uh, getting, I guess I'll start calling it the Tesseract, getting the Tesseract. I still like, in the comics, it's called the Cosmic Cube, and I just think Uh that's really cool. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the movie would have been better if he said Cosmic Cube a lot, (laughs) and... If he held it in his hand and used it to do stuff. Yeah, which he really doesn't. He does it right at the end. He holds it for a second, and it made me really happy. Yeah. I think that if it was a movie about a uh, a Red Skull man holding a cube, shooting lasers, destroying buildings and stuff, I think it would have been less like Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, Red Skull holding out the cosmic cube is so iconic. Like, most statues and action figures of him just have the cube permanently in his hand. Because why would you ever want Red Skull not holding the cosmic cube? Yeah. That's the the thing he does. Yeah, and he says says that uh, when he goes to get the cube in Norway, that it's uh, whatever was, like, the most prized possession in odin's treasury or whatever um and we learn in thor ragnarok that almost everything in odin's treasure room is a fake so he really lost one of his only real things not not having the tesseract in his possession yeah yeah well because they put in all those things as fun little easter eggs (laughs) and then um they were like we can't do that doesn't make sense (laughs) yeah pretty much thanos needs to get a glove yeah, they, they basically try to tie in the the real world thing, which is that Hitler and the Nazis were like, they thought they, they basically they took some occult stuff semi seriously. Like it was the the uh, Hitler actually thought it was worth checking to see if magic was real just in case. Uh, and uh, this movie says uh, it was and they found some. Uh, you don't know he's the Red Skull yet, but I'm probably, like you always saying Hulk uh, for Bruce Banner, I think I'm going to always call him Red Skull, because that's more fun. Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's not like Red Skull, it's not a, re- I mean, it is a reveal that he's Red Skull, but it's not like you know who Red Skull is prior to that. Yeah, there's not, yeah, there's not like, who is the Red Skull, and then it turns out it's this very evil man. Uh, one thing about this movie that I think also makes it feel sort of like a throwback, and also, to me, makes it feel like a children's movie, is that the no one speaks any language other than English in this movie. (laughs) Like, all the German characters are just speaking... Like, there's a lot of scenes where it's only Germans talking to other Germans, and they're speaking English with German accents. Uh, yeah, and that, they do not. And even not even writing to read. Yeah, even writing. Like even when you see when they have like they have like a map of all the cities and it says like New York City and like with city in English. Like yeah, they at one point write on bombs in giant letters in yeah. English. Uh, so like there's just no everything. Yeah, everything is English in this movie. 
Um, it gets a little weirder later when one person says like one line in French and you're like, wait, wait, that's really breaking a rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but that, that makes it feel very much like a little bit retro and a little, and also just like a kid's movie, basically that it, all the villains are just, it's like English, mostly English and Australian actors just speaking with German accents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess Thor definitely is, has a bit of a kid's movie vibes, but I feel like. A little bit. This feels the most like a kid's movie, I think, of all the Marvel movies up until this point. I just think there's, there's, you can't make a movie about a real historical war and make it sanitized to the level of Star Wars without it feeling even more like a kid's movie than Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, that's really true, because it's just... You know, the most hor- one of the most horrific things that has ever happened. Collectively, all of World War II is like the worst, one of the worst things we've done. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just uh, what, rough. Yeah. It's hard to make it into a movie about a fun guy throwing a shield. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just. Uh, so then, yeah, then we, uh, after these sort of two cold opens, we do then go to uh, to New York City and we meet a uh, kid from Brooklyn, Lil, Lil Stevie Rogers. He's so small. They. They stick, they 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 stick Chris Evans' entire real, pretty big head on just yeah. the scrawniest little body. Yeah, that's what my roommate who had never seen it just kept being like, his head is too big. His head is too big. Is <laughs> <laughs> that because his head is big? I mean, he, he looks he looks he looks he looks weird. I mean, I feel uh, it's weird because he really does look weird, but he partly looks weird because you know that's Chris Evans and you can sometimes kind of see the CG that makes his head not look totally connected to his body. I feel a little bad ragging on it because it's not like there aren't real human beings with basically those proportions. And I'm not saying that like that that makes you a weird monster, bony monster. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, well, you just you just I mean, I, I the only thing I'm saying is that I think when I saw this. I was a kid too, but I think at the time it looked much better. It was, uh, uh, was more, th- I think it's an effect that his age, that now, for me, I didn't notice at all when I first saw this okay. movie. Um, I, I think, yeah, that might be, that might be a difference in our age. Cause I remember the, the, uh, skinny Steve effect being worse because I think oh. when, I think when I was you know 26 I was really critical of effects and I really wanted them to like if they weren't perfect they were garbage and, and now you're more uh just feel bad for the effects industry <laughs> yeah basically yeah, like they did their best it, they, did, it, they did their best and they gotta unionize yeah <laughs> we gotta unionize FX it's a real problem you know the studio that did this is probably out of business now I'd have to look it up uh I mean basically it looks good in like every all it looks bad in like two shots and I think that completely ruined it for me when I was uh, a young person and now I'm like hey pretty good I mean, it's a very VFX heavy movie because it's all in the 40s. And then in this, the whole first, the the beginning of the movie with Skinny Steve, he's a computer graphics character, basically. I mean, I know it had a body double, but yeah. that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of effects. It's not CG exactly, but yeah, there's a lot of compositing in every single shot of the first 20 minutes of this movie. But I think the way that they're doing it, and to the degree that they're doing it, does involve some computer graphics. Oh yeah, I'm, to sh- I'm sure. Ha- connected on his head well yeah. enough. Yeah, because um, that's the part that doesn't always work. Sometimes his neck looks fake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or like you know, sometimes his like little body moves and his head doesn't really move. He's got like a chicken head stabilization thing going on a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder. I guess. Was he 
do you think they had his head at that level when they were doing the scenes? You know, or did I don't they digitally move his head down. I don't know because he must have been. It would have been crazy for it be. It would have been crazy for the body double to be the one in the scene acting with the other actors. So Chris Evans must have been there. I mean, they definitely were both there. Um, they yeah. probably did it. They did a pass. I mean, they definitely just did a pass with both of them. Yes. And then, and then there's no, well, there'd be no way to get Kevin's, there's no way to get Chris Evans' head as low as it was in the real scene. So they must have been digitally moving his head down. No, you can squat. <laughs> yeah, for every been... entire scene. <laughs> yeah, dude. They make people do that all the time for movies of just like holding their legs really far apart. Yeah, like, I guess you're right. And especially really like wide. he's sitting down a lot and you could just have him squat slumping down yeah, in his chair give him a little chair yeah no you're um, right you're right that's probably what need, they did we need to do this or else we have to paint out the background or, or paint in a background yeah his head well they would have the background from the shot they did with the body double oh yeah yeah you're right and also um the background is a computer graphics uh building from <laughs> the 1940s yeah yeah well hey someone in the some fan of ours Find behind-the-scenes footage of how they shot this movie, because I have not done that and probably should have. And then we'll know our answer. Yeah, Mom. <laughs> Please find that for us. <laughs> yeah. And so we got little Steve. You got little Steve. Got, so, I mean, the... the meet Big Bucky. Yeah, you meet little Steve and Big Bucky. The And the important thing about these scenes is you see that Steve Rogers uh, very, very much wants to enlist and help fight in World War II, and he can't because he's so scrawny. And also, very sickly, but that never that's never depicted. Like, they say he has asthma, they say he has all these other problems, but he seems fine, just very skinny. Yeah, they should have had him coughing and stuff. Um, yeah, I feel like, especially they make such a big deal about him, like, running and jumping as Captain America, it probably would have been nice to see him, like, try to run down the street and immediately get winded like really show us that like he's not just very small he's also like unwell yeah because they definitely um were accepting small skinny people into world war ii yes you know he, <laughs> they needed that list of other medical problems to justify not accepting him but then they never depict those mm-hmm. yeah you just see him well you see you see him uh you you see someone being disrespectful to a film strip about the soldiers and Steve Rogers standing up to that person and then just getting the crap beat out of him in an alley outside the movie theater and he and you get the first fake shield which is Steve Rogers instinctually picks up a trash can lid and the guy just punches it out of his hand and punches <laughs> him back down to the ground and he says what has turned into Captain America's catchphrase which is I yeah. can do this all day. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing, Steve. Why should you do it all day? <laughs> Why do you want to get beat up by the... Because he's standing up to bullies. He's standing but. up to bullies. I I do... I understand why you would have... Like, Steve Rogers so idolizes soldiers and so much wants to help in World War II. It makes sense that he would be very offended that someone was, like, mocking the film strip. But that... I don't know that that is the best example of standing up to a bully because who was being bullied in that scenario? Um, a film strip of soldiers who were not there, and He's also very against uh, criticism. He doesn't like people <laughs> criticizing people in any way. Like I mean, I, I guess there are definitely there are definitely people who think that people who talk in movie theaters are like criminals, and I guess it would make sense that filmmakers are often the group of people who think that. So maybe Joe Johnson is like, if only someone would just stand up to the, the scum of the earth, people who yell things in movie theaters. 
Yeah, I wonder if they, uh, at the Alamo Draft House, they play different clips of things happening to people talking in movie theaters. Yeah. Um, or a lot of times, I wonder if they use this clip. Be, yeah. Be a, but then it doesn't really work because the guy comes out, the guy he stands up to, it ends up fine for him. Oh, well, Bucky saves him. Yeah, right? Bucky, Bucky, Bucky saves Captain America. He doesn't really beat the guy up, though. He just kind of throws him away. And is, I think he, punch, yeah, and he like, punches him. And he's like, pick on someone your own size. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, the idea is supposed to be that, that Steve Rogers stands up to bullies even though he has no ability to successfully do that. And I think that's cool. I do think this was an odd choice. It feels like he should have been defending a person and not the idea of soldiers. Yeah, the other thing that I love about this movie is that I don't think Captain America ever really says why he thinks it's important for us to win the war or, like, what's at stake in World War II at all, which, you know, I think... There were there could be a lot of good things he could say he's fighting for, and I think he it, just the idea that the Nazis are bullies, or that he the other reason he says he wants to go out there is because other people are putting their lives on the line, and he feels bad that he's not. Skinny Steve keeps trying to enlist in the army until eventually he gets the uh, attention of Dr. Erskine, played Mm -hmm. expertly by Stanley Tucci. Uh, This movie also has a very star-studded supporting cast. All the the actors with just a few scenes in this movie are really high-caliber actors uh, doing a good job. Uh, and yeah, doc, they, Dr. Erskine's like, Oh, so you, I'm, I'm, I'm German. Does that bother you? And Steve's like, why would it? And he's like, so you want to kill, you want to go kill Nazis? Is that it? And Steve's like, I don't want to kill anyone. I just don't like bullies. And I get it. I get that. He's like, well, I don't want someone who wants to be, they don't want to give the super soldier serum to someone who just is excited to murder people. That's mm-hmm. good. But yeah, it's, it's, Odd to pretend there weren't lots of really moral reasons to want to fight in World War II. Yeah, like, I I need to free France. Yeah. <laughs> like, be like, and I don't think anybody would be like, I think that would still play in Germany even if that's what they're worried about is the German audience. Like, yeah, I don't I, think they're... I, I think it's just very, very safe to have your characters be anti-Axis powers because the Axis governments were all completely overthrown and no longer exist. And the current governments of, like, Italy and Germany don't think of themselves as those same entities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which, I mean, they do talk about Hitler some in it. Yeah, in a, they do. They don't... I. I know there's no swastikas in the entire film. You know, that's what I remembered, but they're actually, I remembered them shooting, there's one scene with two actual Nazis, and they have red armbands, and I remembered them shooting it so that you never see the swastika on their red armband, but there is actually one shot where you get a a good uh, look at the swastika on the armband. Uh, okay. Which is almost weirder. If it, if there was really none, I'd understand it more. I wonder if there's that one shot because they could just cut it out in a in like Germany, where you're not supposed to have swastikas in media. Yeah, yeah, I I, I really wonder. Um, um but uh, then and then yeah, the other thing you see is yeah, that Steve saying to Bucky that because Bucky is enlisted, Bucky's shipping off. He's going to be in the hundred seventh uh whatever division. I don't know how the military works. Battalion. Uh, battalion. I don't know. Uh, and, uh, you see also that Steve is not interested in dating because he's only interested in being a soldier. Bucky tries to set him up on a double date and Steve just keeps sneaking off to try to enlist in the military. 
yeah, to try and be a soldier. It's awesome. Um, so one thing that is interesting about this scene, scenes where Steve Rogers just desperately wants to enlist, is that this movie picks up when the United States, this is mostly post-Pearl Harbor. They don't say that. Mm-hmm. But, like, the U.S. is fully in the war. Like, we have soldiers fighting in I mean, in Austria, like in Austria, like we're fully mm-hmm. in this is after Normandy, like we are fully in the European theater uh, at this point, And Steve just wants to be part of it. But in the comics, in the Golden Age comics, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon created Captain America in March 1941. So it was propaganda, but the propaganda was not it was not so government sanctioned. This was two Jewish artists saying, hey, that war in Europe that the United States is not part of, we should be. Like, mm-hmm. Captain America was punching hit, punching out Hitler on the first issue of his comic when the United States had not declared war on Germany. The United States was not committed to punching out Hitler. And these two men were making a comic where the, the cover, the first image you ever see of Captain America, is him punching out the leader of a, of a country of a war that we were not in yet, that they thought mm-hmm. we should be in. Um, yeah. And, you know, there was there that was not a universally agreed upon American position. Like there's a famous story when they were doing the comic where uh, Jack Kirby's up in the offices and then he gets uh, like someone comes up and says, hey, uh, Jack, there's a bunch of guys down in the lobby and they say they've got like issues with that Captain America comic. And like they want to talk to the guy behind it. Like they're like mad about this comic and they want to see who's responsible. And Jack Kirby is like, you know, this like. Uh, you know, he was like a Jewish street tough growing up. He just mm-hmm. gets up, rolls up his sleeves. He's like, all right, I'm going to go fight him. <laughs> and like Jack Kirby goes down to the lobby to fight these like pro-Nazi guys. And they had, yeah. they were gone. By the time he got down there, they had like run away. They didn't think anyone was going to come. But like Jack yeah. Kirby really was kind of the Steve Rogers guy. Like he was, you know, born in Manhattan, not Brooklyn. But like he was a, yeah. just a tough little New Yorker who really was not happy with what was happening in the World War II, was really anti-Nazi and was trying to – they were making art to try to psych people up for the idea that we needed to get involved in this war when we weren't yet, which is mm-hmm. different than what Steve Rogers is doing, which is just really wanting to join up in a thing that is very much already happening. Yeah. Yeah, it really makes me wonder if it would have been cool to make this version of him be canonically Jewish. Um, I just, just because then that, like, it, the, that part of uh, the creation of Captain America is so interesting and makes it be that it, it wasn't like a state sanctioned thing and that it was made by two Jewish artists is really, uh, A very important part of Captain America's history. Yeah, and it's kind of sad that, like, you know, these guys are creating art from a, uh, a, you know, a very, I think, I think a very Jewish place. But, like, even they, you know, they made him blonde. They gave him blue eyes. Like, Captain America does, like, fight Nazis, but he fights them by being scientifically turned into the perfect example of the Aryan Ubermensch. Like, it's it's a little, it's a little weird. Uh, And it's partly just because of the time. Like, they would, they would absolutely not have been able to write a comic about a Jewish kid who gets all swole and beats up Nazis. Uh, And, yeah, one of the things you could, one of the things you could have done by adapting it in the in the 21st century is you could change it you could make it that 
Yeah, it, I mean, that's what Inglorious Bastards is. Yeah. Basically. It's basically. exactly that. Yes. And that's, I'm sure that's what they wanted to be able to make, but already people were threatening to beat them up. Yes. Because of what they made. Yeah. Which, you know. Um, uh, so also, because y- the people would have just been offended by having a Jewish person be called Captain America. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Uh, so, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't have any evidence that, like, they wanted him to be Jewish and decided not to. I bet it was what they could and couldn't get away with was so internalized maybe it never even occurred to them but it's yeah, sad they, they didn't even want people to know they were jewish they were <laughs> yes. changing their name so people wouldn't be able to tell that yeah so like yeah i'm sure it never even occurred to them yeah i'm sure uh but yeah it's uh so yeah i think that's a, an interesting parallel like people always point to the thing as jack kirby's most like autobiographical character just because like the thing the way the thing talks is basically how jack kirby talked and him like growing up in like a street gang as a kid is like jack kirby's background and jack kirby did wind up start in like in basically his own fan art drawing thing like celebrating hanukkah and so they have gone back and made thing canonically jewish in the comics but i really think steve rogers is as much if not more a like author stand in autobiographical kind of character. And basically we don't think of it that way just because he had to make the character obviously not Jewish. Yeah. And the other thing about the thing is that Jack Kirby for a while was a rock monster. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. We, for- no one, we, we forget yeah. about that. <laughs> he was a rock monster for a little bit who no one would love because he was such a horrifying rock monster. That's true. That's true. So Steve, he gets into the military and He's training. I love, um, the, there's the one scene where they're like, whoever can climb this pole and get down this flag gets to ride back or whatever. And he does the, like, he pulls the bottom of the flag thing. He pulls the, he like unscrews the pole so it falls down and then he picks up the flag. Yeah, it's a nice touch. It's not an American flag. So he doesn't put an American flag on the ground. I was like, what is, what is that flag that they're flying there? Uh, it's actually a tiny bit muddled. There's like... There's, like, one scene that tries to show that he's, like, the right man for the program because he's, like, smarter than the other soldiers and, like, thinking about things differently. But then there's, like, another scene where they throw the dummy grenade and he's the only one that jumps on it. We've said that in both Thor and Iron Man, the way that they become better people is by deciding to kill themselves to save other people. And the thing that makes Steve Rogers different is that at the beginning of the movie, he's already willing to kill himself uh, to save other people. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. It's a, it, it's, it's very different than the other characters in that. Yeah. It's, it's flipped. It's like this Steve Rogers is not a selfish man who has to learn to think about others. He's an entirely selfless man. You, the second you meet him, he's willing to get beat up or die for other people. He just doesn't have the power to do anything with that. Yeah. He needs to learn how to be swole. Yeah, and by learn, he just needs someone else to science him into being a giant man. <laughs> yeah, what if they had made him into a, the Hulk instead of Captain America? If this one had gone wrong and he'd been the Hulk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's my concept. <laughs> what if? That's your what if. That's my what if. Because uh, in this world, they're saying that's what they were trying to do with the Hulk was remake Captain America. That's true. Well, yeah, you see, you see them. Uh, so he, he, well, yeah. So he does the. He gets picked in the program. Doctor Erskine uh, has has a little conversation with him about being a good man, uh, and he does. He says something that I feel like is 
more tying into the Hulk movie than anything they've ever done with the Captain America movies, which is you find out that Erskine's the first person Erskine used the super serum on was uh, Johann Schmidt, the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. But he says that the serum takes whatever is in you and makes it more. So he's like, good becomes mm-hmm. great and bad becomes like monstrous. And the idea is that like, because Schmidt was a bad man, the super soldier serum burned his skin and turned him into a red skull monster and also made him like more evil. Also implying that the super soldier serum is not just going to make Steve Rogers like buff, but like a better person. And that does kind of play out in Hulk because like Bruce Banner has all this like repressed rage and the serum brought it out in him. And Blonsky, I guess had all this repressed wanting to destroy Harlem and the serum brought it out in him. Uh, But I don't feel like in the, I don't feel like it really tracks to say that Captain America was like personality changed. Like he's exactly the same man with the serum doesn't bring out personality in him. Yeah, no, I don't think it does, but it it does bring out, he gets really strong. He's the only one who gets that buff. Red Skull isn't buff. Yeah, Bonsky doesn't get buff. All the super soldiers in uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, they say that what's different about this serum is it doesn't make you buff so you can stay undercover, but this serum doesn't make anyone buff except Steve Rogers. Yeah, kind of weird. It's almost <laughs> like that's what Chris Evans looks like. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's so exp- Think how expensive it is to do the transformation. You can't do that for all the other characters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would have been actually really cool if they had been able to do that for Hulk. Uh, well, they did. I mean, Hulk... Hulk, very yeah, famously, right. gets much, much bigger when he transforms. I <laughs> no, mean, I meant Blonsky when oh, he gets okay. the serum the first time. But eventually he does get bigger. Yeah, know? so actually, I mean, I remember because as a... In the comics, Steve Rogers is very, very skinny before he gets the serum, but he's not short. The serum doesn't make mm-hmm. him taller. It just makes him... Yeah, because right. that's insane. It's so weird. So that's I remember insane. when I first saw that Steve Rogers was getting bigger in this movie, initially I didn't like it. And then the mental gymnastics I did was, okay, well, in these movies, they're saying that the serum also kind of created the Hulk. And the Hulk obviously gets much bigger. So I guess logically, I can't have a problem with Steve Rogers getting bigger. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. Just watch the movie. Just watch the I movie. I think the way you got to think about it scientifically is that when he goes into the chamber it is like a cocoon for a uh butterfly and (laughs) his body like a caterpillar does not just grow wings it completely turns into jelly and then reforms as the new man Uh, also i like that before we started recording you told me that you thought this might be a short episode because we might not have that much to talk about and uh we've now been talking for almost an hour and we've talked about i think 10 minutes of the movie (laughs) i don't know what's happened (laughs) This is also, like, the most... I'm, as soon as we started doing this, I'm like, I'm so tired. <laughs> Don't tell them. You have to... You're okay. excited. You're excited. I'm excited. You're a, you have a Steve Rogers level of uh, vitality. You could do this all day. I could do this all day. <laughs> uh, so, he transforms. He gets real big. Uh, we haven't talked about Peggy Carter uh, yet. The <laughs> But uh, she, she... There's a very you know he comes out with his giant shirtless chris evans body and peggy carter walks up to him and like wants to touch his chest but doesn't quite it's a, it's a very funny moment uh yeah 
it's funny. I remembered Peggy Carter as having a lot more to do in this movie than the love, because the love interests have been the weak point of all of these movies up to this point. And I remember going into this being like, all right, here we go. Haley Atwell, Peggy Carter. She's awesome. And she is, but she actually doesn't have as much to do as I thought she did. Uh, her, she has some cool scenes and she's a cool character, but I think I'm thinking of her as a more capable, more important character because I watched two seasons of a TV show about her later. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a similar situation, too, with all of these actresses, where they're really good actresses, and in these good movies, they have some good scenes, but they're not super pivotal to the plot of the movie. No, and and she's, I assumed Peggy was more pivotal than she is, and she 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 really isn't. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you, uh, which brings us, I guess, now that we have brought her up, they do have their, the other scene, basically you have two scenes where Steve Rogers lays out the kind of person he is. One where he's talking to Dr. Erskine when he's still skinny, and then there's the car ride scene where he's oh, talking yeah. to Peggy, and he's, like, sort of flirting a little bit, but, like, he's really bad at it, and she, she says, like, you're not like good at talking to women are you and i think he basically says you're the first one i've ever met or like you're the first woman i've ever tried to talk to like yeah you said like i've never talked to a woman for this long before yeah that's it yeah i've never had this long a conversation with a woman before Uh uh-huh which is weird So who was he raised by (laughs) does he not have a mom he does he mentions that she was in the army too why Oh, he, did he never talk to her? I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's this it's it's this kind of crappy thing that maybe you can say would be historically accurate for the 1940s, but I'm not going to give them that pass. There's this thing where he's saying woman to mean attractive woman I want to date. He's not counting every other woman he's ever talked to in his the course of his life, which because certainly he's spoken to women. It's not possible for him not to have. Yeah, and, and he says that women don't want to uh, talk to him because he so was so little. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about, like, both of us wrote in our notes at this point, so Steve Rogers is basically an incel. Like He's totally, he's literally an incel. <laughs> he's involuntarily celibate. I, but know? I feel like if you're saying someone is an incel, you're saying they're identifying as one and also have the shitty politics that goes with that. And he doesn't, yeah. he hasn't taken it quite that far. Yeah. Uh, he, has, he got out. He hasn't gone all the way around to, and so I hate all women, which is the the next step of of this. But yeah, definitely he like he thinks he instead decided to focus on trying to be a soldier. Yeah, one <laughs> hundred. Like women aren't interested in me. I'm gonna do one hundred percent of my focus into trying to enlist in the army, even though they don't want me. <laughs> the army doesn't want him. Women don't want him. But you know what? Of you know, oh, here's the thing. So women weren't interested in him. The army wasn't interested in him. So he decides to just keep bugging the army anyway, even though they keep rejecting him. And of his two options, that is the less toxic choice. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a. It is definitely a lot better. So I guess, given his weird situation, he he did okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the film is trying to say, if you're a small little weird guy. And you are still a good person. That means you're the world's best person. And you get to become a man god. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Uh, and then, yeah, the uh, there's a German spy in the transformation room. They shoot Erskine and he destroys all the serum. Uh, Steve Rogers chases the spy down the street and does some some early super soldiering. 
Yeah, first thing he does is super soldiers run as fast as a car, a thing they love to have these guys do, and it's cool every time. Every time he runs as fast as a car, he picks up the the door of a cab that has a star on it and holds it up like a shield. That's his second fake shield. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great joke where the, the spy throws a kid in the river, like, now Captain America's gonna have to stop chasing me and save this kid. I, I laughed at that joke. <laughs> and then, yeah, he the kid... Captain America looks over the water and the kid's just treading and he's like, I'm fine. I can swim. Go get him. <laughs> yeah. And then Steve, uh, the bad guy jumps into a sub and Steve freaking punches through the sub yeah. and then from the water throws the man onto land. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, he's very strong. And he's, and that's a, another thing is that in the comic books, Captain America is actually not super strong. The, no. the premise of the super soldier serum in the comics was that it just made him an Olympic level athlete instantly and he was so scrawny and sickly that that was a miracle but like in the comics the whole point of captain america is that he doesn't actually have any powers and here he is leading the avengers fighting thanos isn't this amazing that he has like the idea of him being like like, batman yeah he's like batman and it's and it's it's like the idea is like in the same way that little Steve Rogers keeps picking fights with big bullies, even though he could never win, Captain America is now a normal man picking fights with gods that he probably can't win. And, like, yeah. that's you lose that a little bit when he's so strong in these movies. But I get it because it's really cool. They made him this, yeah, one, because it's cool. And I think, two, they knew that he was going to have to fight Cap, uh, Iron Man so soon. And they wanted to make everybody be a little bit closer to each other in terms of power level. That's true. Like, Thor is weaker. Captain America is stronger. Hulk is just always however strong he needs to be in the scene. And, I mean, Iron Man is weaker than he is in the comics. Oh, yeah. Um, much, much. so much. I mean, I was telling my roommate, like, Iron Man has had a force field for, like, 60 years. Yeah. Like, <laughs> because it's not realistic. If someone actually could punch him, he would die. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's such a, it's such a, when Captain America and like, I mean, when Captain America and Iron Man fight in Civil War in the comics, the implication is, holy shit, Captain America has no chance. He could never beat Iron Man in a fair fight. The one like fair fight they have starts with Captain America, like zapping Iron Man with like a EMP thing that turns his armor off just so they can have a fair fight. But in the movies, when Captain America and Iron Man fight, it's totally flipped. And you're like, oh, man, he's going to murder Tony Stark. He's going to squish his stupid armor. He's going to rip him out of it. Stark has no chance. Yeah, yeah. And then they say, hey, you're just one guy. That's not good enough. We're just going to have you put on shows. I'm interested as to why you think that this, like, is a a, a beat of the movie or why this happens. Because it doesn't make a ton of sense because they saw him, like, destroy a submarine with his bare hands. (laughs) right before that right yeah so i guess the idea is that the tommy lee jones plays the like uh army army commander and he says that he doesn't want just one guy that doesn't do him any good so he's he says that they're just gonna send steve rogers to get like science experimented on and then it's actually a senator who's like no this could be a good propaganda angle you should do these shows around the country where you wear the exactly comics uh captain america costume and you you sing and dance to this song and dance number and you like sell war bonds and so you're saying why do you think this is in the movie yeah i guess so i think the real reason is i think they want to show you that steve rogers truly does not want personal glory and he doesn't want to be seen as a hero. He just wants to actually help people. And that 
he, if if people are dying, he wants to be one of the people risking that. He can't live with himself knowing that there are people putting their lives on their line and he's not one of them. And mm-hmm. I think that's the intention uh, of it, mm-hmm. is that it doesn't matter that he's probably is helping now. He could have helped yeah. before. He could have fucking worked in a factory. Like, there's other things, like the war effort, what, like, everyone in America was involved in the war effort. Like, literally just obeying the rationing was helping the war effort. There was nothing you could do in American society that was not aiding the war effort, but that didn't matter. None of that mattered to him. One thing they do is uh, in the film strip, you see a kid collecting uh, scrap metal and they're like, even this little boy is doing his part. And when Steve says that it's like insulting to not let him in the, in the military, what he says is like, what do you want me to do? Collect scrap metal? Like basically he's like, don't treat me like a mm-hmm. child. Let me do what an adult would do. And I thought that was a, a, a interesting choice because really his choice wasn't don't make me do what a child would do. His choice is don't make me do what a woman would do. Like he could work in a factory. Like he could, yeah. he could be sewing stuff. Like there's important jobs he could do, but it would be the jobs women were doing. And they, did choose to have him not say that, which is good, but that's his real choice. So that's why I think they, I think that's why they put it in the movie. Here's why I think it's in the movie. So why do you think? I think it's in the movie in my in my head because, uh, so Jack Kirby and Joe Simon co-created Captain America. Stan Lee uh, then came into, came took over Marvel uh, editorial because his uncle owned the company. Uh, Stan Lee was Jack Kirby and Joe Simon's like assistant when he was a kid, when he was like a teen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, so then now Jack Kirby's working for Stan Lee after the war, uh, and they bring Captain America back. So here's the thing about Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. They both, uh, enlisted in the military during World War II because they were able-bodied men of the right age and you basically had to. Uh, and Stan Lee... Almost immediately, they realize, like, oh, you're a writer, you're, you can kind of draw, like, you should be in the, the propaganda division. Like, so Stan Lee spent mm-hmm. the war writing pamphlets and, and, like, coming up with posters and doing slogans and basically doing the real-world version of Captain America on the USO stage, like, drumming up support, getting bonds, getting the message out. That's what Stan Lee did during the war. Jack Kirby famously said, give me a gun, point me towards Hitler. Uh, and fought like he has a bronze star like Jack Kirby was fucking in the war because that's That's what he wanted to do like they absolutely gave him the option to paint posters and he was like no gun Hitler let's go and so I like the idea that this movie is saying that doing the propaganda stuff doing the Stan Lee job doesn't fucking count you gotta pick up that gun and point it towards Hitler Jack Kirby's the one who counts yeah and so then that's why it's okay that they give Captain America a gun so that he can be pointing it at Hitler in, like, one shot. Yeah. He has a gun, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, also, like, I have no problem with Captain America having a gun and killing people in World War II. Uh, it would be insane to have Captain America just punching people and being against killing in the middle of the war. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. bother me at all. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't. If if you want it to be based in reality at all, yeah. it would have to be like a not even a kids film, like a, a just a a movie about World War Two for like toddlers. Yeah, and it wouldn't even be accurate in the comics. Like, I don't, I think in the Golden Age, I don't think Captain America had a gun just because the image of him punching someone was cooler. Mm-hmm. Like Bucky definitely had a gun. Like Bucky's like a Bucky's like a teenager with an assault rifle in those comics. <laughs> Did, in that time period, didn't uh, Batman have a gun, too? <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, I've zero. I do kind of think that once Captain America wakes up in the present, I like the idea that he then doesn't have a gun and like doesn't really isn't really trying to kill people anymore. Um, I think is cool. But yeah, zero. I have zero issues with Captain America shooting Nazis. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am okay with that. Uh, so I think this is also a good time to talk about. So the movie. Uh, basically keeps cutting back to Red Skull and his his minion, Arnim Zola, uh, who is the science guy. Zola. Zola. Uh, Red Skull's not the one inventing the super science tech. That is Arnim Zola. Mm. And the movie cuts back and forth with them a bunch of times, but I figured this was a good time to just generally talk about these characters and what we think about them in general. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. What, do you, what, what do you... Do you have anything... Any thoughts yeah. about Red Skull and Arnim Zola? I love, I I forgot how much of a goober Zola is in this whole movie. He's just a little man, and anytime Red Skull's like, we're going to do this really evil thing, he's like, wait, really, why? <laughs> like, he's, like, not super into it. He's, like, such a, like, classic little goofy henchman who's uh, hasn't even completely bought into it for the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, um, he's never totally on board. So, and yeah, the weird, the one weird thing about this movie is they yeah, draw... Yeah. Such a distinction between Hydra, the super science division of the Nazis that Red Skull yeah. runs, and the actual Nazis. Yeah. And Captain America actually doesn't shoot any Nazis in this movie, and he doesn't fight any Nazis in this movie. He's only fighting Hydra, who have their own uniforms and their own insignia and their own salutes. And pretty quickly into the movie, you find out that Red Skull's, like, gone rogue, and he, like, kills the two Nazi generals that are checking up on him, and he apparently has plans to also bomb Berlin, and that's when Zola's like, uh, but what's going on, boss? And he's like, do you want to be next? And Zola's like, hail Hydra. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's really, really weird that he's, like, um, anti-Hitler. Like, he he turns on Hitler, uh, Red, Red Skull does. And, like, I think they should have just made him be a Nazi. Or, like, more, they could, I, I think it would have been fun if Red Skull was the uh, Nazi equivalent of Captain America. Yeah. Where they were making propaganda about him being this super soldier genius man with these lasers and stuff. No, no, and that's what it is in the comics. Like, in the comics, also in the comics, Captain Amer- uh, uh, Red Skull's just wearing a mask. He's a normal man wearing a mask to look like that. And in the comics, like... Hitler personally gives him the mask. He's like, put this on. It'll look really cool. You're my guy. Yeah. And then, too, what could be happening in the movie rather than Red Skull planning to blow up every city is just, like, Captain America is a part of D-Day or whatever, and his job is to stop Red Skull. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, we need to do D-Day. Like, there were things happening in World War II that were very high stakes. Um, Yeah, the, the... I remembered not really liking them trying to act like Hydra was somehow worse than the Nazis, which is a very weird thing to try to say because they're not. You can't. You basically can't make them worse than the Nazis, so it's weird to try. Uh, I remembered not liking it. I didn't remember how unnecessary it is. Like, Mm. Red Skull's plan at the end of the movie is to blow up all of the American cities on the eastern seaboard and... They say that then he's going to overthrow the whole world, but that's not what he's doing yet. Like, the actual thing he's doing is a perfectly reasonable Nazi plot. There was just no reason for him to break with the Nazis. It doesn't accomplish anything except put a little distance between them and the actual historical events. It is kind of funny, the moment when he kills the Nazis. I guess we should be like, I guess Red School might be cool. (laughs) 
But no, that's what's weird is that when he kills the Nazis, it's definitely played as like, oh no, this is an escalate. It's worse now that he's killed those Nazis. And that's weird. Hitler's not keeping him in check anymore. Yeah. It's, and like, you know, it's, obviously I don't expect this movie to be like, acknowledging the Holocaust. And it's honestly historically accurate that Americans didn't really know what was going on and didn't really care while the war was actually happening. But it's just so weird to act like what Red Skull is doing is worse than what Hitler would have ordered him to do when we know, everyone knows, the kinds of things Hitler was ordering people to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, I mean, they wanted to create this, like, to have it be distanced from uh, reality. Like, it was a very conscious choice. Yes, and I think it's also, it's a little bit like, making sure Thor fights the people that are invented in Marvel comics and not just from Norse mythology. Like, it's also like Hydra is a thing that Marvel actually created and actually owns. Like, they didn't want... And also, like, they didn't want to make an action figure with a swastika on it. Like, they wanted to sell a Red Skull figure and they wanted him to have the Hydra armband instead. Like, Mm -hmm. I do get it. Like, you also don't want to be, like, trivializing World War II, but, like, I don't know. It's odd. Well, think about it, too. If if things had gone differently, like, people love Loki. Like, if people got really into Red Skull and he was even more closely related to being a Nazi, it's a little bit weird. Like, that didn't really happen. There isn't a huge Red Skull MCU fandom. Um, Yeah, right. But, yes, like, if Red Skull had been in Avengers and then everyone thought he was super cute and then, so then he said he's he's the villain in all the Captain America movies and we're getting ready to watch Red Skull on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, you can't do that because then you'd be like, wait, weren't you, didn't you used to be friends with Hitler? And he's like, yeah, but I've learned a lot now. Yeah, yeah. There's a a really great comic where all the super, in the Marvel comics where all the supervillains like team up and like help take each other's uh, heroes down. The idea is like, oh, Mm Spider-Man doesn't have a plan for fighting like the Wrecking Crew because he doesn't usually fight them. Uh, And there's a really famous scene where Magneto and Red Skull have like been paired together as part of this villain conspiracy and then magneto's like hey red skull i want to show you something in this basement and he just (laughs) and he just locks him underground and says hey fucker i know who you are and the things you did and i'm jewish goodbye forever and leaves him down there with no food and water to die (laughs) it's awesome that's okay (laughs) that's such a (laughs) <laughs> that's such a funny that's such a uh, funny premise um i love the idea also that like yeah, just because they're evil they would be friends <laughs> that doesn't make any sense it makes less sense than good guys teaming up yeah <laughs> very different deals especially too, all of them theoretically want to take over the whole world yeah I mean, yeah one person could do it i think there's even a, a, a captain america batman crossover where there's there I've only seen this I, this comic I haven't read I've just seen the panel but there's a, a panel where the Joker is like wait you're really a Nazi that's not just like a costume well I'm not on board with that I might be a psychopathic criminal but I'm an American psychopathic criminal <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I mean that's the thing is uh, the Nazis are just so bad if they had him be it, it's a way to make you really not like him very easily <laughs> yeah. But I really think this movie, except for the fact that, uh, basically, except for merchandising, like, this actual movie would have been better yeah. if he was just actually a Nazi. I don't even care. Like, hi- like it's fine if you want to call them Hydra, but trying to say that Hydra is, like, different and worse than the Nazis is weird. 
Yeah, I think what they could have said is this is the Nazis' version of what Captain America is. Yeah. This is their super soldiered high-tech thing. We, like, basically, they could just set it up that, like, we're going to lose the war because of Hydra. Yeah. And Captain America is the thing that makes it so that we win the war. Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, and then, yeah, I mean, the one, the big thing that makes this movie feel different than the other Marvel movies is uh, montages. They use, they use montages to make it feel like an actual significant amount of time passes during this movie and significant like progress in the war front happens. I think every other Marvel movie up to this point takes place over the course of like two days. Through montages, you get to him doing his USO show actually in, I think they say he's in Italy, uh, and he is now... Uh, He's on the army uh, base, the army camp that his old friends, uh, Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Peggy Carter and Howard Stark, uh, Iron Man's dad is in this movie. But honestly, briefly enough that we're not really going to talk about him. Who cares? Uh, they just wanted Tony Stark to be in it. Yeah, they wanted Tony Stark to be in it. You get to see Howard. Okay, here, okay well, here's a question. So Howard Stark is basically like a less charismatic Tony Stark. Do you think that makes him more or less charismatic than Justin Hammer? Also, who's also uh, a less charismatic Tony Stark. Can you imagine how much cooler he would have been in this movie if he came out and did those dance moves <laughs> that uh, Justin Hammer does? You really love that dance Hammer does. Dude, I, I just love Sam Rockwell. <laughs> he does a dance like that in every movie he's in. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, well, this is a situation where he's not meant to be less charismatic. It's just not Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> This is the best actor they could get. This not that he's doing a bad job. He's just not, you know, the he's not Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so then we uh, we get the the first of what becomes a very uh, pivotal kind of scene in these Marvel movies, which is Steve Rogers, Captain America, finds out that Bucky's gone missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bucky's got to get his Bucky. He's got to get his Bucky back. He finds out that Bucky is presumed dead uh, and that all of the soldiers Bucky was with are captured and the army doesn't care. They're not going to try to rescue him. Wouldn't be worth it, uh, which is accurate. That was yeah. that's what you do. <laughs> you, like when he says, like, are we planning a rescue? And Tommy Lee Jones is like, yeah, it's called winning the war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's fair. Uh, but uh Peggy Carter uh, flies Captain America behind enemy lines, and he uh, he storms single-handedly, breaks into the uh, Hydra stronghold, uh, rescues Bucky from the mind con- brainwashing chair he was in, foreshadowing for future movies. Mm-hmm. And he also rescues the Howling Commandos, who are not dum 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 Dugan. <laughs> They dum dum Dugan's dum, in this dum, movie. Dugan, he's got a hat and a mustache. <laughs> it's red, big red mustache. Uh, I don't know why. When I saw this movie, I should have said this. And things I remember, I was so excited for Dum Dum Dugan. <laughs> I don't know why I was a Dum Dum Dugan fan, but I was. Yeah, because I didn't have strong opinions about any of the other Howling Commandos. I think that Dum Dum is the one who most crossed over into just hanging out with Nick Fury on the helicarrier as a shield agent. Like I was just very aware of Dum Dum as a mainstay of Marvel comics, you know, like, cause I'd never, I never read the Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos comics. So I don't, I know of the other ones, but yeah, I, I love Dum Dum. I was so excited to see him. Yeah. His name is Dum Dum and he looks like that. And it's, he's very, he's a very distinctive man. He's a very distinctive man. Uh, and uh, yeah, that the, all of these characters, I, I think that, 
this movie and Thor are showing a strategy Marvel had at the time that I think they've mostly moved away from, which was uh, the Howling Commandos in this movie are very much like the Warriors 3 in Thor, Mm. where they're only in this movie just long enough to say like three lines of dialogue that kind of imply their personality, but they don't really need to be in this movie. And they're then they're not really in any of the other movies, but obviously they thought they would be, they, they, they Mm -hmm. thought they had to set up these supporting characters because they must've thought they would do more with them or they'd be more important. Like it's like, like think about like, if, if they were still doing this in Dr. Strange, there would have been like six other wizards with names and deals that didn't really matter, which they didn't do. Like, there's yeah. just three wizards with names and deals because that's all you needed. Yeah, because they were they knew they were building this big universe, and I think they thought it was important to have a lot of people in it. Yeah. I did not find myself as excited to see Dum Dum Dugan on this rewatch as I remember being at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. This time, all I found myself is going, why did I care? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I was trying to remember, like, why did I like Dum Dum Dugan? Like, I can't remember a thing he's done in the comics either. Like, yeah, he just sort of stands next to Nick Fury and has conversations with him. He, he saves. He saves Bucky yep. and like a, a 400 soldiers. Yeah. And he, and, he, and he has this little face to face with with Red Skull. Uh, oh, you're right. They, yeah, they, they punch each other one time and the force of their super strength sends them flying across the bridge. Uh, Red Skull's eye, ma- he's been wearing a human mask this whole time. Yeah, it's insane. They decided that the human face is a mask and the Red Skull face is his face. Yeah. Yeah. Like his his Hugo weaving mask is actually a more advanced piece of like technology and soup than any other of any of the super science in the movie like that his. His human mask just flawlessly looks exactly like Hugo Weaving. Yeah. Yeah. Get get me that mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, he, he rips it off. And and it's funny because, like, he rips off the mask and reveals his red skull face. And then he just has the red skull face for the rest of the movie because he's into it and he's not embarrassed and he thinks it's cool. So I'm not I really think- sure why he was ever wearing the Hugo Weaving mask. I think it takes a long time to put the mask on. I think because he like peels it off. That's I think true. It was like I think it was like prosthetics. You like, know? Yeah. So you think um, it's like a, like a makeup artist applied it once and he's just been leaving it on this whole time. Once he takes it yeah, off, that's it. Yeah. And then he took it off and so he's like, it's okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they have their little meeting and then uh, they Red Skull escapes in a rocket. But mm-hmm. but in classic henchman fashion, uh, there's no room in the rocket for Zola. So Red Skull gives Zola the keys to his fancy Nazi car and tells him, mm-hmm. not a scratch, doctor. And <laughs> Zola, like, is so psyched to get the keys to the car. Zola, I love this scene. Like, Toby Jones playing Arnim Zola is so happy to get to get in the car and drive it away. <laughs> yeah. And I was trying to, like, I forgot, like, well... It actually is setting up something important, which is at the end of the movie when Red Skull's escaping in his super plane and Captain America, even Captain America, can't run fast enough to catch up a plane. Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Peggy Carter drive up in Red Skull's supercar. And that's the car they drive to get him to the plane. And I think they actually thought they needed to set up that Red Skull has a fancy car that he always keeps with him because he cares about it. So you'd know where it came from. Yeah, I guess so. I literally, I don't even think I put it together that it's the same car, because who cares? <laughs> but I think that was the idea. Like, we got to show that Red Skull has a fancy car he likes, so you'll accept that he'd have it with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, you're right. It didn't matter. Uh, and then uh, after 
after he shows that being uh, super strong and super fast is useful to the military, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a thing he had to prove to them, yeah. uh, they give him official uh, fighting Hydra duties, and he recruits Bucky and uh, and his pals. Uh, and then you get another montage of him in the real costume with the real shield, which they call Vibranium, which I actually didn't remember. I remembered. Uh, and uh, there's that line when he's like, why isn't this shield standard issue? And he's like, that's the rarest metal on Earth. That, like, shield you're holding is our entire supply. And I just, you know, I want to know what, what kind of war crime they committed to get a hold of that much Vibranium. Oh, Yeah. I guess I also want to know why they let him make it into a shield that was going to be used for nothing. <laughs> this is all of it we have in the entire world. It's the world's best metal, and you made it into a, a shield that you have on the bottom rack yeah, of the shelf. That he doesn't want him to use. He's like, oh, no, that's a prototype. Don't use that one. Yeah, don't use that one. I made these other ones. What do they do? And, like, I thought they were going to have a sequence where he, like, explains what the other shield's deals are, but, like, doesn't. Yeah, like, there was going to be, like science in the other shields uh when when uh they brought captain america back in the comics in the 60s uh at first i think they thought they maybe needed to jazz him up a little bit so uh initially they say that uh like tony stark adds like repulsor magnetic technology to the shield to explain how it comes back to his arm uh and they like show all these wires on the inside of it and then they were like they must have realized nah it's cooler if he's just really good at throwing it (laughs) Yeah, he's just, he's just so good at throwing it. He's so it. good at throwing it. Uh, one thing that I love, uh, I guess there's a little bit of it happening, but um, my roommate pointed out that uh, no one ever trains Captain America how to fight. <laughs> so did he just get this good at fighting by getting beaten up so much? <laughs> uh, yeah, also counterpoint is he trained to fight does he need to be he's so strong he just like even in right right away in this movie he starts doing his signature move which is kick someone so hard they fly completely off the screen and they're gone yeah and i think it's something where the the super soldier serum makes him so coordinated that throwing the shield like that isn't hard yeah yes yeah i mean honestly i think that's fair like in falcon and winter soldier you do see falcon practice a lot to get good at throwing the shield and when john walker's not a super soldier they show that he like trained a lot to get that good at throwing the shield so yeah i think what you have to assume is that the super soldier serum is just giving him like perfect reflexes that let him do that effortlessly yeah but also i don't know how good at fighting he really needs to be to do the things he's doing if he's that strong no like presumably hulk presumably hulk doesn't know martial arts but it doesn't matter Pretty much the next thing that happens is they, like, uh, Bucky dies. Yeah, right, Bucky. right away. Bucky falls off a train and dies. <laughs> and Steve's just like, no. Yeah. Oh, no, Bucky. He had to die in this movie. Yeah, it's a little awkward. I I kind of wish that Bucky hadn't been a prisoner of war and then also die one montage later. Like, I think it probably would have been better if Bucky was just becomes part of the movie sooner is more a part of steve's journey as a soldier and then it would feel more impactful when he dies he has he has such a funny like weird little part in this movie yeah he has the same amount of part in every one of these movies yeah which i i remembered him having being more of like the secondary lead in this movie which he is not at all no no i mean he probably has the biggest part in winter soldier because he's like the main antagonist but he's but honestly screen time wise i bet it's about the same yeah and in winter soldier he's you know it registers mostly as his stunt man yeah, like, yes 
<laughs> no, I mean, I'll, I'll admit, like, I did not really see the... I didn't really have any opinion about Sebastian Stan as an actor because you can't have one just watching him in these Marvel movies. He doesn't really... I mean, honestly, he has a, he has the same kind of role that the love interests get in these movies. I understand why people ship Steve and Bucky. That's basically the dynamic. Like, he is only there to emotionally motivate Steve to do things or feel things. He doesn't really do anything himself. He doesn't feel things himself. <laughs> I mean, yeah, in the Winter Soldier movies, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, he completely doesn't. He doesn't even know who Steve is for one entire movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it's fine. Uh, and then, yeah, Bucky Bucky dies. Steve's sad about it, but not, like, not that sad. <laughs> yeah, he gets over it. He, he gets... keeps doing war. The mission where Bucky dies, they capture Arnim Zola. Uh, yeah. and, Arn- and you do get a really nice scene with uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character interrogating uh, Arnim, uh, Ar- Toby Jones' army, Ar- Ar- Arnim Zola. And uh, it's a good scene. Uh, this the is, two Joneses are finally meeting. Yeah, finally. A lot of people ask, are they related? I don't think uh, so. Yep, they are father and son. <laughs> but which one is which? Nobody knows. <laughs> uh, and it's yeah, it's just a really nice. It's a it's a nice scene. Uh, like and 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 to your point, they basically acknowledge what you were saying. Like Tommy Lee Jones is like every Hydra agent we have ever captured has immediately bit down on a cyanide. Uh, like tooth, but you didn't, Zola. I think it's because you want to live. And Zola's like, "Yep, I'm a rat now. I'll tell you everything I know." But later we find out he's still into Hydra, and then found secret Hydra. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a little weird. You don't get the impression from this movie that Arnim Zola was in any way invested in the ideology of Hydra, uh, especially like in real life. There are, are so many Nazi scientists who just became American scientists and didn't have secret evil plans. Like, not like NASA is not secretly an evil Nazi plot just because Nazi scientists did all the important science. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Artem Zola should have just gone and worked for NASA and been a normal rocket man. Um, and then, so yeah, Zola tells them that Red Skull's plan is to blow up every city, and he, he's gone rogue. Yeah, he's gone rogue. He wants the whole world. Mm-hmm. Unlike Hitler. Un- unlike, yeah, unlike Hitler, Red Skull wants to take over the whole world. It's so weird. You don't get it. This guy's crazy. <laughs> yeah, you don't understand. He thinks he's a god, and he wants to overthrow the whole world. He wanted to invade Norway, a place Hitler <laughs> would never invade. <laughs> That's true. They make a big deal about how his invasion of Norway to get the Tesseract was not sanctioned yeah. by Hitler. It's Hitler. <laughs> and then also, this is the thing I want to point out, which is kind of interesting, that what Red Skull does, his big evil thing he does, is make bombs that can destroy cities. Which is, like, pretty... I don't know if they were aware of the whole, like... That that's what we did in World War II. I think they probably know that. <laughs> and just they like kind of like what if they'd made the atom bomb first is Yeah, basically. But yeah, Red Skull uses space god science magic to make a technology identical to the real world atomic bomb that in the timeline of this movie, the United States was probably close to completing. Yeah. This movie probably takes place in like 1943 at this point. It is really interesting that what Red Skull was trying to do is what America ended up doing 
and not what Hitler was like. I guess Hitler wanted to be. If Hitler had made the atom bomb, he would have tried to drop it on New York. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. I hadn't thought of that. That not only not only is Red Skull's super evil supervillain plot something Hitler would definitely have done if he could have. It's something the United States fucking did. Actually did it. <laughs> yeah. Very famously. It's one of the worst things that's ever happened. Yeah, just completely destroyed two totally inhabited cities. Yeah. Um so I yeah, mean, you're right. That sucks. Maybe the only reason why it happened, Marley, is cuz Captain America was in the ice and he couldn't stop it. Well, you know, uh, one of my favorite Captain America scenes in the comics uh, uh, is actually a scene in a Frank Miller written Daredevil comic, um, which is kind of funny because the reputation that Frank Miller gets, you know, now for being like into war and fascism, Mm -hmm. which is not 100% deserved. We're not going to get into that right now. But there's a great scene where Captain America is just sitting in like an office like thinking to himself and the captions are like telling you Captain America's thoughts and his thoughts are that it's like basically Captain America thinking about how he couldn't stop Dr. Professor or Dr. Erskine from being shot. Mm -hmm. He couldn't stop the super soldier serum from being lost, which doomed, which meant he was the only super soldier. And he's thinking about how if there, if I had stopped that Nazi spy, if I'd saved the serum, if there could have been an army of super soldiers, then maybe we wouldn't have had to drop the atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. And basically Captain America feeling like responsible for that having to happen, because if he had just saved the serum, then maybe we wouldn't have needed to do that. And uh, I always think that's cool. I like I like trying to find spaces for Captain America to not be okay with everything that the United States government has ever done. Yeah, yeah, and and have some some sort of reflection. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's nice um, when Captain America breaks onto the plane and he sees the little uh, uh, plane bombs that are going to blow up all the cities. The way they frame it is first he sees one that says Boston and he's like, uh oh. Then he sees one that says Chicago and he's like, Ugh. then he sees one that says New York and there's this like big sting and it's like so much more dramatic now. And I love the totally accurate idea that uh, as a lifelong New Yorker, he didn't want Boston and Chicago to get blown up. But once they come for New York City, now it's personal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and I had forgotten that those uh, plane missiles that have uh, beautifully written in English on them where they're going to go, um, how cool those are. They're like little, <laughs> little space propeller uh, bomb rockets or whatever. Yeah. And he, fly- a- and he rides on one for a little bit and stuff. It's a very cool sequence. Yeah. No, this, I mean, I my memory of this third act being like exciting and well-structured and cool that held up it is it's it's why it's it feels more like the i mean like we said it feels like star wars but it also kind of feels like the climax of like a good james bond movie Mm -hmm. Uh, because red skull is pretty much a bond villain and the fact that the hero like the the bad guy has an army of guys and the hero has an army of guys the hero is leading the the regular soldiers so like the the action scene at the end is more exciting than like one hero fighting a big version of himself because there's like two little armies fighting and be, but he is fighting a, a a red version of himself he does end up then fighting a littler version of himself <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's true that's the different that, that's the innovation of captain america <laughs> the first avenger abomination was bigger than hulk but yeah. red skull much skinnier much skinnier really every time 
yeah, you know Captain America's gonna win. He looks so much stronger. <laughs> so much stronger. Through this whole movie, I just felt like it's so normal compared to these other Marvel movies. Like, you were saying, it's very well-structured. Like, lots of normal, very good movies. Like, James yep. Bond. This is a movie a normal person could come up with without source material and make a movie that's like this. I yeah, think. that's... No, definitely. Like, yeah, like, I mean, The Rocketeer is based on a comic, but, like... I don't know that people knew that. I think people uh, thought The Rocketeer was just a normal movie, and this feels like that. Yeah, whereas, like, Thor is was is nuts. It's a nuts movie. I mean, I think Iron Man is also, like, a bit more of a normal idea than Thor, but it's very weird tonally. And, like, Tony Stark is a very weird character. He's, a, like, he's a very... has more of a modern sensibility of a character, whereas, like... You know, Steve Rogers is on purpose a throwback of just like he's a really good guy from the beginning. Yeah, if you if you were go if you didn't have the source material and you were like, I want to make a movie about a weapons dealer who learns that his weapons are being used for evil, so then he converts those weapons in some way to fight for good, you would not end up with Iron Man. No. You would do something very, I don't even know what you would do, but it would be very different. If you were going to do, if you were saying, I'm going to do a modern take on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you would not end up with Hulk if you were doing that from scratch right now. Yeah, it's just with the Iron Man premise. And then you'd be like, also, it's a kid's movie. And he's a womanizer. (laughs) Like, you're like, what? No, what are you talking about? (laughs) And in the comics, he's an alcoholic, and we take it pretty seriously. So in the movie, we're going to kind of imply that, but use it like a joke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just very quickly, with as these Iron Man movies came out at the time, everyone was just so freaking excited for them to adapt Demon in a Bottle, the famous storyline where they take uh, Tony Stark's alcoholism seriously, and everyone's like, oh, right, Iron Man 2, Demon in the Bottle. Uh, they didn't do it. Okay, Iron Man 3, Demon in a Bottle. It's like, they're never going to make a movie that involves a montage of Tony Stark going through months of real rehab, which is what happens in that comic. Like That'd be so good. (laughs) I mean, they did it. They came as close to it as possible with Iron Man 3, but it was PTSD. Yeah, which is better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because also it's like you don't want... It's hard to root for if he's any level of an alcoholic for a very long period of time. It's hard to justify him, I guess, having a weapon that's stronger than all militaries on the world combined. <laughs> yeah. As we learned in uh, Iron Man 2. Yeah, so I, f- I feel like Iron Man 2 skirted with a little bit because he's starting to act more reckless as he thinks he's going to die. I yeah. think that's the closest they he, were ever going to get. He gets drunk in one scene. He does get drunk in that mean. But it was just weird to me that everyone not only not only wanted them to do it but just assumed they would they're like obviously we're gonna get a full demon in the demon in the bottle why they thought that it's the same reason that they're like when are they gonna do the mandarin movie that's all iron man has (laughs) there's not other options so instead of doing that they just did a completely new original story for iron man 3 it's not adapting anything that well because it's like what are they gonna do like they did Mandarin, but they did it in a different way that wasn't terrible. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. Uh, so then, uh, Captain America and Red Skull have their little fight. Uh, I do remember at the time uh, me thinking this, and I know uh, uh, my wife Josie was always felt really strongly about this. And that's really lodged in my brain that 
it's a bummer that when Captain America and I and Red Skull fight in this scene, because they're both super strong, they just don't do any effects. It's just normal. They have a normal fight. They use the fact that they're both super strong to justify choreographing a regular fight where no one seems super strong. It's yeah. not actually a very cool fight. And this is before the innovation of Winter Soldier, where they started having it all be kung fu fights. If Yes. Uh, well, because neither of arts. these guys are trained in martial arts. Yeah. Yeah, and then they were like, in, yeah, but I'm just saying that that's what they realize. Like, that's how you make these fights work when they're both super strong. You can't tell that him and Winter Soldier are both super strong in a lot of those fights, but they're just really cool-looking fights. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, I think it's part of also it being, you know, Joe Johnston is like a, a classic action-adventure director, not a martial arts movie director. And so, yeah, they, they just kind of throw each other around and throw some punches. I mean, the way you could have made this fight cooler, like the very the first time... Uh, Red Skull tries to punch Captain America. Captain America holds up his dinky non-vibranium shield, and Red Skull like dents it, like he puts a fist indent in it. And they could have done found more times to do things what like that. What if he had Red Skull had been like, "I learned karate from my Japanese friends." <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's Hugo Weaving. He knows. Hugo Weaving could do oh, those fight yeah. scenes. He's in the Matrix. Yeah, he can. Hugo Weaving had to deliberately not use any of the fight training he has to have from yeah, having from played Agent years Smith. Years of being in those Matrix movies. He's in three of those movies. Yeah, yeah, very true. In Matrix Three, there's a hundred of him, and yeah. they're all doing martial arts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even obviously there are a lot of stunt doubles and stuff, but you have yeah, to yeah. learn so much from doing that. Like same thing. In, I haven't rewatched it in a long time, but I'm sure. I know Hugo Weaving is actually in the mask in V for Vendetta, like, a lot. Oh, really? Um, And uh, I'm sure he has some cooler fight scenes in that movie that I bet Hugo Weaving actually did some of. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Also, we could be completely wrong. Maybe it's all stunt doubles. Maybe Hugo Weaving can't do any of this stuff, and that's partly why they didn't try in this one. But again, he's in a fucking mask. (laughs) This would be the easiest one to be a stunt double, too. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Uh, uh, and then uh, I, I also want to say I don't think they should have had a martial arts fight at the end. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not saying they should have done a martial arts fight. I'm saying there should have been a few moments of like extra destruction or like ripping a piece of the wall out and hitting someone with it. Just yeah. a few moments to remind us these are both supposed to be incredibly strong supermen. Or Red Skull could have been holding the cosmic cube <laughs> and be shooting laser. Here's what they could have done: Red Skull's not super strong. He's not hasn't had the super soldier serum. He's just has a red face and maybe the cosmic cube made his face be that way. And yeah. he has a cube and he's shooting lasers at Captain America. And you're like, "Can he beat him? He has this all-powerful cube." Yeah, that would have been cool. Go back in time and pitch that. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they'd be like, "No. No I thank like that. you. No thank you. Still young man." <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would like that better. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, the ol- my only other, like, my final sort of critique of this movie's take on Red Skull is uh, they-, they do the thing that I think you need to do in these movies, which is as they're punching each other, they're also fighting, their ideologies are also fighting. And so Red Skull says uh, his line uh, is, uh, I believe it's basically... He says to Captain America, you have the power of a god, and yet you put a flag on your chest and imagine that this is a battle of nations. But I have seen the future, and there are no flags. And Steve Rogers is like, not my future, and then beats him. And I don't even mind... 
I don't need this movie to have my politics because it never will, because I would still call myself an anarchist if that was in any way politically useful. Uh, like, I, I would call myself a democratic socialist now just because tactically that's the useful thing to call yourself. But, you know, I'm very you far can, left politics. Yeah, because you don't identify as the Joker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I believe in, you know, organized political actions. Uh, so I don't expect this movie to have my politics, but I do criticize this movie for just having zero politics. Like, <laughs> what the hell? What What is Red Skull's plan here? What does in the future there will be no flags? Like, yeah. he's got the Hydra flags. He's put yeah. them on everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, wh- when he takes over the world, was he not planning on putting a Hydra flag on top of every Like... It just doesn't make any sense. And it's not a good distillation of the point of the movie. The point of the movie is supposed to be, what do you do with strength? Like, what's the Mm -hmm. moral use of power? Red Skull basically is saying, we are stronger than them, so we should rule them. Mm -hmm. And Captain America is saying, I don't like bullies. I want to stand up for the weak. And they should have had a line like that at the end. Yeah, yeah, I I think you're totally right. Especially because Red Skull's ideology of that is, you know, also kind of what the Nazis believed. Um yeah so you know it's consistent but then at the end it's yeah this that's complete nonsense um also too like captain america is they do they skirt this line of him being not actually like he's not super patriotic like yeah you don't see him like carrying around a flag all the time and he doesn't say america that much no um he's not like we need to stand up for american values or stand up like he doesn't uh talk about god as much as you could imagine someone like that would. Yeah, he never talks about fighting for the country. He doesn't even he doesn't even do the like Amer- sanitized American talking points of like fighting for freedom. Yeah. Like yeah. he just doesn't say any of that. They were very careful to basically give him no American propaganda talking points at all until at the end when he's so offended at the idea of no flags. Yeah. And well, it's interesting cuz he's literally in the movie he is American propaganda. He's at he's making these propaganda films. But yeah. they don't have him actually say American propaganda. Yeah, well, I think what they do is they very consciously have him say very targeted time period specific propaganda. Like, he's oh, specifically saying... now? Well, yeah, because what he's saying is buy war bonds. Yeah. Like, he's saying, like, you know, do your part, like, help defeat Hitler. Like, he's yeah. not saying any of the generic American buzzwords that we still use. Yeah, most of the things, like, that's why now all of these people still share all of this anti-Hitler stuff and be like, isn't this, like, what's happening now? And it's like, yeah, it is. The propaganda hasn't really changed. Yeah. (laughs) You could take a lot of these stuff and it would sound very current. And I think partially they were scared that anything he would say would sound like they were making a commentary on contemporary politics. Yeah, it, it really is. It's the opposite of Iron Man. They're they're trying as hard as they possibly can to divorce this from actual topical like world politics. And they're trying as hard as they can to make this not only for kids, but for kids in every country of the world. Uh, and it's very, very conscious. They had to they had to make a lot of specific decisions to do that. And I actually think they did a pretty good job, uh, except for some of the Red Skull stuff. I think it basically works. It's just very obviously on purpose. I mean, me as a 14 year old, I had no problems with it at all. And we were very indoctrinated into very left politics or whatever, you know? Yeah, like it's not it worked. I mean, you know. We talk about our dad loving these characters and like obviously he didn't expose us to quite as much Captain America 
uh, as like you know Thor and Hulk and X Men, but he definitely liked Captain America. Like, yeah, uh, our 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 very left wing, very critical of the American government father, definitely figured out a way to be fine with thinking Captain America's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's this idea of like what American values are meant to be, sort of. I feel like is. Yeah, I think, and I think in the in the comics there have been periods, especially in the '70s and '80s, like you know, partly that Frank Miller comic I was talking about. There was a whole storyline in uh, the '70s where he basically finds out that the 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 president is is evil as part of this evil organization. They basically do Captain America's version of Watergate, where he's like realizes the American government is bad sometimes and is disillusioned by it. And I think that was because comic book writers in the 70s and 80s look at this Captain America character and they're like, oh boy, what do we do with this guy? This could be so bad so easily. Uh, and that's partly why I don't like I don't like ultimate Captain America and I don't like some takes on the character where basically people are like, oh, well, if Captain America was real, he'd be a super patriotic asshole. And it's like, you're right, but they've every creator who has ever had their hands on this character has gone out of their way to make sure that's not what he's like and it's it feels it feels lazy to go back and be like what it you know what if you handled this character less expertly he'd be bad and like yeah you're right it's impressive that they've done done, everyone's done him as well as they have because it's a real minefield but they they've they've done it yeah no that's that's definitely true um because it's just, yeah, that intentionality through this whole time period. Okay, we're at the freaking end of the movie. Um, yeah. Captain America, he sacrifices himself. It's very sad. I thought that was a very touching end with the Captain America. I think it's they did a good job of not making it be overdramatic. He's on the phone with Peggy. And, yeah. And uh, they're talking about how they're going to go on a dance next week. Um, yeah, I, I think that even though they have about the same amount of screen time together, I do think they... They earn the tragedy of Peggy and Steve's lost love better than Thor and Jane. I think it really works in this movie, even though Peggy's not in the movie that much. It's really sad when he has to sacrifice himself and they're not going to get to go on that date. Uh, Also, Captain America, of all the Marvel characters that have tried to uh, sacrifice themselves to save everyone, Steve Rogers comes the closest to successfully sacrificing himself. He really almost dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting too, cause he decides to do it cause he's very willing to sacrifice himself. Like he does this because this is the surefire way to make sure that no one gets hurt. Um, yeah. he could try and like land the plane. Yeah. Or... But he's worried. He's, he doesn't think he can successfully land the plane on a populated area without killing people. Yeah. Which I think is it. Cause he's very selfless. It's not, yeah. it's not really, it is a situation where it, it shows like, his willingness to do something like that. Um, yeah, I think actually I hadn't thought of this, but I I think that I think we've stumbled on how uh, it is still an impactful scene, which is he's different than the other characters. He was always willing to sacrifice himself. He was almost excited to. He basically has nothing to live for. Mm-hmm. He has no his only friend is Bucky, who's also in the war. He yeah. doesn't his parents are dead. He doesn't have anyone at home. He clearly has no other friends besides Bucky. He's basically been trying to sacrifice himself the entire movie. Yeah. And the actual what makes that last scene emotionally impactful is that for the first time in his life, he actually now doesn't really want to have to do it. Yeah, I mean, that... Now he has something to live for with Peggy. Yeah, you're totally right. Basically, that... He has the opposite journey of Iron Man, and they do it a couple of times, which is that his thing is finding something to live for and not sacrifice himself. 
Yeah. Uh, opposed think... to sacrificing himself at the end of every movie. Yeah, yeah. Captain America was happy to sacrifice himself until he gets to the point when he actually has to, and he realizes, oh, wait, I really wanted to go on that date. Yeah. And that would be the first time he ever gets to live his life, because he w- he wouldn't go on dates at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, when he went on the date, he just wanted to... Jer- so, it is sad. It is sad. And I, you know... Uh, <laughs> if only there's some way they could get that dance. <laughs> Uh, and you know that's why I like Endgame so like that's why I like the ending of Endgame so much like well we'll talk about that in a year I yeah but I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna mention it now which is just that that is the that's the thing with Captain America it's never he's never gonna be able to have a happy ending in the present day like mm-hmm. his life being stolen from him is always gonna be a tragedy there's yeah. no uh, like when he wakes up like it's not an end credit scene. It's the next scene in the movie is he wakes up in the present day and he busts out of the shield center where they're trying to make him think it's still the forties. And he runs out into modern day Times square and they shove so much last minute product placement into the movie, which they couldn't do up to this point. Cause it took place in the 1940s. You see like six giant brand logos in Times mm-hmm. square. I hope they got paid for them. I know you have to do it cause it's Times square, but also they didn't have very- to be Times square. So they got paid. Samuel Jackson, Dick Fury shows up and he's like, you've been asleep for 70 years, which is so much more than the 20 years the original Captain America was yeah. asleep for. But yeah, he's upset. It's a bad thing. It's not a, it's not like, oh, good, he's alive at the end. It's like, here's another level of the tragedy. Yeah, totally. Like, Captain America was never going to know peace in our time, I, I think is set up really well in this movie. Sets him up really well as a character for Avengers and the Captain America sequels. Yeah. Okay, so I think is it time to do you have final thoughts or are you ready? To- uh, yeah, no, we've we've certainly I have certainly said everything I think about this movie. I think it's fine time to get the patented hero rewatch. How many Iron Mans do you give this movie? I'm gonna give this movie point eight fours. <laughs> what? Fuck you. <laughs> what does that mean? It's a point eight of a Thor. Um, what okay but we need a conversion table how many iron mans did you give thor i think i don't remember i think maybe not point nine god damn oh so- let me think um maybe it's also wait i was about to say it's point eight okay here's what i'm gonna say okay i think it's are you I'll- gonna say how many iron mans you give it because that's really the only thing i want to hear out of your mouth right now Wow, it seems like you really care about how many Iron Mans I give a movie now, Marley. Well, it really messes me up if you change it. Okay. I'm going to give this movie uh, 8.5 Iron Mans. 8.5, okay. okay. Is that in keeping with how many Thors you gave it, or are you just starting over? Oh, yeah, that's actually a mess. If I say, because it would have to be more of a Thor. Ooh, man, this is rough. I really backed myself into a corner here. So I would have to say, man, this is hard. Maybe you go and then I'll see if I work out the math. Okay, cool. I give this movie two Iron Mans because Howard Stark is in it uh, and he's basically Tony Stark. And then uh, a bunch of the Hydra guys kind of look like the Mark One Iron Man suit. There's a bunch of guys in like big bulky suits with basically that helmet. They've got flamethrowers uh, just like uh, that big Iron Man suit. Uh, so I say Howard Stark is like half an Iron Man. Each one of those Hydra guys is like half an Iron Man. It equals about two Iron Mans. It's probably half a Thor for you, too, because of the Cosmic Cube and stuff. 
That's true. They talk about Odin. If I was so, yeah, if we're going to do both, if we're going to really just goddamn lose our minds, I give this movie two Iron Mans and half a Thor. Marley, I saw Cruella last night, so uh-huh. I'm a little bit crazy now. I'm ready to lose my mind. <laughs> You're a little, a little twisted. I'm a little bit twisted now, okay? The future's here, and the future's Dalmatians. Uh... All right, but you did you did say that you're you're judging this movie a little bit like you did with Iron Man two, where you still don't think this is the best movie with Captain America in it. Yeah, that's how I guess that's what I'm realizing watching it because the Thor movie is different because it's the only good Thor movie that's like this, and I yeah. really appreciated that. And it's like one of the only movies that's like this. Period. That yeah, Thor like movie. Thor Ragnarok is is a great movie, but it's so different. But th- this Captain America, I feel like, is kind of the first Avenger in that. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it's kind of the first Avenger. It's the first real MCU movie, and then they make 22 more movies that are like this movie. I think. Yeah, I could see that. I or, think, yeah. Uh, I mean, that sounds right to me now. We'll see if that... Because, I mean, but the thing is, I kind of thought that about Thor when I was watching it, and then I realized how different Captain America is. Yeah, so I guess all, we're going to see. They're all more different than people think they are. They're all pretty different movies. Because one is about a space god, and then the other one is in the 40s about a not-god guy. So they're, they have to be kind of different. And they're tonally yeah. different. Like, this movie's not as silly as Thor, and no. it's not as dramatic as Thor. So yeah. that's why it only gets... 8.5 Thor and 8 Iron Man. 0. 0.8 Iron Man, 0. 0.85 Thor. Okay, that sounds about right. I don't I think that's absolutely do man. not commit to continuing to rate how many Thors I give things. I think this is a mistake. I think if you start you are like you are one podcast away from also saying how many Guardians of the Galaxy you give Avengers because Thanos is in it. How many Guardians of the Galaxy do I give a movie? Here's the problem with that. The title's too long, Marley. I can't say that. Um, okay, next time we're going to talk about the uh, Avengers. Um, yeah, next summer, some assembly required. That's what they said in the trailer. Yeah, it's so stupid. Um, <laughs> I don't think they used that on the actual Avengers poster. I think they gave up on that trail- that tagline when we got closer. I bet you the trailer that they have at the end of Captain America, like, they put that together last minute. They were like, wait a minute, we actually have enough footage. We could do this trailer. Get in the guy, have him do the voiceover. Yeah, there's no effects in it, I don't think. They probably just finished shooting it. Yeah, yeah, or they could have maybe not even been done. Like, they could have done... Like, I don't think there's any shots of Hulk. It's just Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, see you all then. See you all then. We love you. (laughs) We love you. Whoa, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, Please say nice things about us and tell your friends about it if you liked it. Our outro and intro music are by Josh Pan. Art is by Will Patrick. I edit the podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Hero Rewatch. Marley is MarleyHG on Twitter, and I'm AustinHG. For some more Hero Rewatch content, go to Austin Halpern Razor on Instagram and TikTok, and keep an eye out for Marley's show, Aquaman, King of Atlantis, on HBO Max, which is releasing October 14th. Whoa, yay! Aquaman, see you next time. Bye.